0: Father, we love you. We continue to be amazed as we rehearse again and again your wonderful work among the children of men. We recognize that we are not worthy of your kindness, your love, your goodness, but you have, in the face of our sin and rebellion, in the face of our frailty and weakness, In the face of our sentence of death, you have risen up in the person of Jesus Christ and you have bore our condemnation to give us life. And together we rejoice in all you've done. Help us as we worship you in the word that our hearts would burn within us as we see your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for each believer that our hearts would cry out within us. And for each one that maybe has not, to this point, turned their attention and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that there would be a cry from them as well, that Jesus is Lord. A cry to Jesus that they need Him. A cry to you that they need the salvation that is offered only through Jesus. We pray these things with confidence, because we know we pray according to your will. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Greyhounds are motivated by a lure. Now, it used to be a rabbit, which is kind of disgusting. <laughs> but, you know, they run around the track. It's because there's something on that pole that they're chasing. It's uh, apparently some kind of a bone filled with something yummy that they want to eat. It used to be a rabbit. But they're motivated by running after this thing. Only one of them gets it. A runner a runner is motivated by health or fitness Maybe a runner is motivated by a runner's high. I've never experienced a runner's high. (laughs) Apparently I haven't run enough. But I have, however, been motivated by a gunnery sergeant when running. We need motivation while we're doing things. What motivates a person through the course of pain? What motivates a person through the course of pain? Perhaps you've met someone who has blazed that trail before you. Many many were emboldened in their fight against cancer by Lance Armstrong and, and then the whole wrist bracelet thing came out, Live Strong, and, and it was it was really emboldening to many facing cancer because they said, He made it. I can fight this too. We, we need sources of motivation in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our difficulties. Well, friends, I want to tell you of one who has blazed the trail for you. Through sorrow, through temptation, through difficulty, through death, Jesus has met every challenge. And we can look to Him. We're in 1 Corinthians 15. I want for us to read from verse 12 through 20. Now, you may have read that before. In fact, you read it this morning responsively. But we want to have this as a source of our meditation this morning, just one source. It says, beginning in verse 12 Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He has raised up Christ whom He did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ Have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And then the smile comes. And now the hallelujah comes. And now the praise be to God comes. Now the amen of our soul comes. In verse 20 it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and He has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is risen indeed. Amen? amen. If Christ simply died, our message is useless. Our faith is useless. Our sin is dominant. And our death is dreadful. If Jesus died, and that's the end of the story, we are of all men most miserable and most to be pitied. But now is Christ risen from the dead and He's become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is risen, friends. He's alive. He's alive forevermore. Forevermore. We know the end of the story. It was already read for you this morning. It'll be on the screen again. Luke 24. As we see the Gospel account from Luke of the resurrection event. Here's what God's Word says. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found, listen, they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. And they went in, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their face to the earth, they said to them, will you say it with me? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen! Do you believe it? Friends, Jesus is risen from the dead. This is all my hope and plea. This is all my righteousness. That Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. God raised Him from the dead. Because Jesus lives, it changes everything. Everything is changed. Because Jesus lives, our message is one of hope. Hope. Because Jesus lives, our message is one of power. Because Jesus lives, our message is one of salvation. Hey, listen. Did you know that because Jesus lives, you can face today? Because Jesus lives, you can face today. Well, well, what's... What's that all about? Well, let's just take a a step back. Here we are, screaming and yelling. I am. You're just kind of watching me kind of burn on fire up here. Screaming and yelling that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and our souls scream out. But yet, we live in a world, and we live in fleshly bodies, And when we leave here, we may not feel quite as grand as while we were here worshiping. Things are a little bit more difficult than this celebration that we take every day. But I want to tell you that this celebration every time we're together about Jesus living and the fact that Jesus is our life and that Jesus is our hope and that Jesus is our stay, that that message affects today. Because Jesus lives, I can face today. Today is filled with trials. Today is filled with trials. I can face those trials because Jesus lives. Let me invite you to open your Bibles. We're in 1 Corinthians. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. So just take a right in your Bibles. You'll get there quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Now listen, I don't know what you know about the Apostle Paul. I can tell you, first and foremost, he was a sinner saved by grace. He said he was the chiefest of sinners that Christ died for. But if you know anything else about Paul, he wrote a good majority of the New Testament. If you know anything else about Paul, he started multitudes of churches. If you know anything else about Paul, he was one of the pillars upon which the church stands. Now, he's not the pillar. The church stands on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. But in and among that structure, Paul stands strongly as one who demonstrates who Jesus is and what the church stands for. This is Paul. Paul is a great man of God. And and. God used Paul in an amazing way, as an amazing vessel for his use. And you would think, and I would think, that listen, let's keep Paul safe. Let's make his way easy. Let's give him a rear guard, a front guard, and two side guards. Make sure he is completely surrounded so nothing bad ever happens to Paul. But let's listen to what Paul has to say about his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down. Struck down. But we are not destroyed. Look a little further. Verse 14. Knowing this, that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Now listen. This is what he's here. He is. He's he's perplexed. He's hard pressed. He's struck down. But it's not the end of the story. He knows the end of the story. Jesus lives, so I live, so you can live. This is the end of the story. And look at what he says, beginning in verse for uh, sixteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though the outward man, our outward man, is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. Pressed down, struck down, what? Perplexed? Doesn't sound light to me. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. I'm sure it's not really a moment, Paul. It's not really a moment. It's just a moment compared to. Our late affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, these are eternal why could Paul be hard-pressed on every side and perplexed and struck down and yet not be beaten? Why was he not giving up? Why did he not feel forsaken? I'm serving you, and this is what I get. Because he knew this affliction that comes upon me compared to the weight of glory is light. And it's temporary. And yet what I look for is beyond light and it's beyond temporary. It's heavy and it's eternal. I dare say to you, because Jesus lives, Paul could face the stresses and trials of today. I don't know what type of trial you are facing, but when it is faced with the risen Lord Jesus, It's worth it. It's worth it. I can can face today, even though it's filled with trials, and I can face today, even though today is filled with temptation. Don't don't tell me you're not tempted, because you're lying to yourself if you say you're not tempted. You are tempted multitudes of time times every single day. Which is why God's word tells us in Hebrews chapter twelve, verses one and two, Therefore we also, seeing we are compassed about by so great a clod of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How are you going to do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down. Where? He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We can face temptation... Victoriously, when we're doing it looking unto Jesus. Because He lives, I can face today. I can face the, the day that is filled with trial. I can face the day that is filled with temptation. And you realize this as well. Today is filled with demands. Today is filled with demands. Now, I'm not talking about, well, I've got to get groceries, or I've got to go to work, or I've got to clean the car, or I've got to clean the house, or vacuum the rug, or do the laundry. I'm not talking about those demands. I'm talking about, I'm talking about demands that are far greater than that. I'm not talking about the demands of taking medication or eating. I'm talking about Real demands. I'm talking about a demand that comes from the holiest of holiest. I'm talking about demands that comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm talking about demands that comes from the one that created life and breath and all things. I'm talking about Christian demands. We face those demands and sometimes we are Intimidated no do you feel intimidated by the Christian life if you're not if you're not intimidated by the Christian life you don't really know how serious God takes his word you should be intimidated I should be intimidated well, let's consider this for a couple of moments because this is, this, is the, this is the essence of our Christian walk. Now, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you need this information. You need to, to, to meditate on this information. There is demand on you every day. And it is pretty overwhelming. Take a look with me at Romans chapter 6. Now, you're in Second Corinthians. Head back left. You're going to go through First Corinthians. You're going to come to Romans. Romans chapter 6. Just two books to your left. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Yeah, I, can, I can meet these demands. I can meet these demands. Can you meet these demands? Does God require what He will not provide? No! God never requires what He does not Himself provide. And I want to tell you, the course through which he provides it. He's my favorite person. And I love his name. His name is Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, God's word says this, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father even so just the same way we also should walk in newness of life who raised jesus from the dead well we've got a problem because the bible's kind of confusing about this well it says god the father raised him from the dead and it says god the spirit raised him from the dead and it says he Rose himself, raised himself from the dead. Just know that the triune God raised Jesus from the dead and it is that same triune God that gives us the ability to walk in newness of life. Friends, it's called grace. That's called gospel. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and the body of sin, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Today, friends, is filled with demands. And they're overwhelming to us. I wonder if they were overwhelming to Paul. Well, look at the next chapter. Chapter 7. Beginning in verse 14. Here's what Paul says about these demands of the law. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will to do, that I practice. is there anything consistent between verses 14 through 19 any word come up regularly anything that stands out to you what word i here's paul he's laying it all out on the table and he's like i i stink i am in Capable. This is Paul's problem in chapter 7. Paul, in this focus, is focusing on him. But that's not where the chapter ends. And so we move from the problem, I, to the solution that he offers himself and us at the end of chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? He started to turn his attention in the right direction. I'm wretched. Who will deliver me? Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that with my mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin. What he's telling us is the solution is not found in his will. His solution is not found in a determination to do what's good. The solution is found in Christ alone. That is it. This is why we can rightly say, all I have is Christ. That's not to the disregard of God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. We're doing the same thing Paul is doing. All I have is Christ. He is the source and substance of my righteousness. As we look to chapter 8, just briefly, just for a couple of moments, we're, going to continue, we're still talking about the tr- trials of today, meaning the demands that we face today. Chapter 8, verse 3. This just makes me smile. For what the law could not do in that it was weak, Not of its own accord. What makes the law weak? Me. I make the law weak. The law is perfectly fine. I just happen to mess the thing up. The law was weak through the flesh. What the law could not do, God did. God did. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. What's it say? Mm. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us. God wants to accomplish His will in us. God wants His law met in us. He didn't say, the law is no good. The law was no good because of me. The law is met in Christ. And the law is met in me with Christ in me, the hope of glory. Oh, this is, this is good news, friends, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Look at verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. What is He talking about? The same way, same power, same source that raised Christ up from the dead dwells in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And he will quicken, make alive your mortal, this physical current body, so that the righteous demands of the law are met in us. This is good news, friends. This is the gospel for believers The gospel doesn't end when we say, yes, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. All of my sins are washed away, and Jesus' righteousness is added to my account. I'm going to heaven forever. That's not the end of the gospel. The gospel is for you as a believer in Jesus Christ, because through the gospel, the demands of the law are met in us. Because we die that he might live in us. We call it being crucified to ourselves, or dead to ourselves, or the old man being put off. We have these names for it. We fulfill the word of God while empowered by the spirit of God. Because Jesus lives, I can face today. But what about eternity? Eternity. But what about eternity? We can also say, because Jesus lives, I can face eternity. Now, I I want to just warn you, I'm going to start with the bad news first. Because really, there is no good news without the bad news, right? What, What does the good news do for someone that has no bad news? So we start with the bad news and we move to the good news. So don't don't like check out somewhere in the midst of the bad news. What will be required of me, of you, at the judgment day? What will be required of you at the judgment day? I'll say it this way. What is the standard That will determine if you reside in heaven with God forever or in hell apart from God forever. What is the standard? I want to tell you what the standard is. And we call it the bad news. Take a look with me at a couple of passages of Scripture, please. First, Psalm 15. If you don't know where that is, close your Bible. Open somewhere in the middle. You'll find the book of Psalms. If you find yourself in Isaiah, take a left. Psalm 15. Now, when I read this, you're not going to think it sounds like bad news until we have to make an application of it. Okay, So it's going to sound really pretty and happy and lovely. But I assure you, it's bad news. Psalm 15, beginning in verse 1. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Well, here's the one that can dwell with God. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Well, it sounds very pretty. Until you wonder in your own mind if you ever lied. Or if you wonder in your own mind if you ever said something not so nice about someone else behind their back. You ever do that? If you say no, I'm going to call you a liar. You've lived too many years to not have lied or spoken ill of someone or taken advantage of someone financially. Why is this bad news? because you just told me you can't make it to heaven. And you know what? Jesus agrees. You know what Jesus told those that would listen to him? In Matthew 5, 48, listen, listen to the standard. Therefore, you shall be perfect. Just. As your Father in heaven is perfect. There's the standard, perfection. And if you don't believe it yet, the Bible comes to a beautiful yet shocking conclusion in Revelation 21. Oh, we get really, uh, our, our hearts are moved and we get all fuzzy when we talk about God dwelling with His people and God wipe away, wiping away every tear from our eyes and how, how there's no more pain, sorrow, death. It's great. I love it. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. It's like outstanding. And in, in every funeral uh, it, it probably is read there. Whether it applies correctly or not, it's read because it's beautiful and we get excited. And then we come to verse 8. And John the Apostle, led by the Spirit, gives the bad news. He says, but the cowardly. Unbelieving. Abominable. Murderers. Sexually immoral. Sorcerers. Idolators. Now let's stop there just for a moment. That includes being covetous. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Friends, that's sobering news. The psalmist, Jesus, and the apostle John are all saying the same thing. You can only make it to heaven if you're perfect. Well, that was a good day. See you later. No, that's not how it ends, is it? Because there's good news. There's the best news. It's reserved for the end. What is the good news? Take a look at Romans chapter 4. Now, you're already in Romans. Hopefully you can find it again. If not, I assure you, I'll read it to you. Romans chapter 4. Now, the context here, as, we, as we're going to cut right into the middle of it, we're going to come to Romans 4, i we're going to start at verse 22. We're talking about a man named Abraham. And Abraham, you'll remember, was an old man, and God says, I'm going to give you a son. And he was like, some things just don't seem to go the way that they used to go, and all that good stuff. You're catching my drift. It was such a kind of radical thing that Sarah laughed. You remember? You've got to be kidding me. But in spite of the physical impossibility of what was being said, Abraham believed God. Now, if you read anything about Abraham, what you'd find out, he's a pretty good guy. But Abraham was not perfect. Abraham came into a town on two occasions and said, Sarah is my sister. And the reason he said that is because he didn't want to die. Pretty good motivation to say she's my sister. Now, I don't know what he was thinking about what was going to happen to Sarah as his sister. You following me? Is, Is Abraham a good guy? I would like to punch him in the face. About this. Please tell me that you feel some venom and disgust toward him in this endeavor. That's ridiculous. It makes you fuming mad. He's not perfect. He's not perfect. But he believed God. And let's listen to what God says about kind of good, but really, really bad Abraham. Verse 22. And therefore, it, his faith, was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. In other words, God didn't just say back in Genesis 15 and verse 6, because of your faith I have imputed righteousness to your account. It was also written for us that we would understand that God has this this glorious provision in mind where we lack, and we do. God injects his perfection into the mix. Verse 24, but also it was written for us, it, righteousness, shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Listen, we talked about the bad news, imperfect, and you're headed to hell. But, but, where we fail, where we're broken, where we are rebellious, where we are sinful and imperfect, God has entered the fray in the person of Jesus Christ. He sent His only Son into the world to condemn sin in the flesh that we might have life. Here's what He did. Jesus came. You know this. He was born as a baby. You know this. He, he grew up in His... His parents' household in perfect obedience. He grew in wisdom and and stature and favor with God and man. He did all of this. He kept the law perfectly. He came into His earthly ministry. He was baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit of God came upon Him like a dove. He was led out into the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan and He never fell. He went around. He was rejected by man and woman and child. And, and, And finally, He was rejected to the point of crucifixion and we saw on Friday night as Jesus hung on the cross he became sin for us even though he knew no sin he cried out from the cross my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? the sky was dark at noon as God laid all the transgressions of every Saint of all the ages on Jesus. He became sin for us. Even though he knew no sin. Why? That the sin would be removed from us and from our account. And so that his righteousness in his perfect obedience would be added to our account. This is called justification. So l- let me ask you a question. And this is serious. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you recognize and have called out to God and said, I need Jesus. Without Jesus, I have no eternal life. If, if you've raised Your voice to God is that I trust Jesus and Jesus alone that I might have life. You raise your hand and keep it there. I want to tell you something, folks. You that have your hand in the air, who have trusted Jesus alone as your salvation, you, in God's eyes, are forever perfect. Because of Jesus. Jesus. Because He lives, I have life. Because He lives, I can face eternity. Because He lives, I am righteous forever. It is unchangeable. This is the good news. I don't know what you're dealing with in this life I don't know what the trials are you're facing they're hard I know they are they're not easy this life was not supposed to be easy because Jesus lives you can face today you can I I promise you you can face today in the face of your trials Jesus he, he blazed the trail In the face of your temptation, you can be victorious. Jesus blazed the trail in the face of the demands of the law. You can deal with it because Jesus blazed the trail. You're going to face God one day and you can stand there because Jesus blazed the trail. He is not only the author of my salvation, He is the finisher of my salvation. He is everything. There's nothing else. Do you know Him? Do you know this, Jesus? Yes, I do. He is risen indeed. Because He lives, I can face today. Because He lives, I can face eternity. The question that remains is can you? Can you? See, I'm no special person. A lot of people raising their hands. They're not special. They're special because God sent His Son to die for them. Yes, they're special. But they're not super saints and now oh, suddenly now they're perfect. No, that perfection is granted by Jesus. I don't know where your struggle is. I don't know what keeps you from saying, yes, I need Jesus. I can call out on Jesus. I can trust Jesus. I can give my life to Jesus. I don't know what keeps you from it. But I want to tell you this. Nothing in this world ought to keep you from it today. Because He lives you can face eternity with a smile. uh, Death has no dread for me. Maybe the process of death, but not death. I invite you today. We're going to close in just a moment. We're going to sing a song. Then I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and then we're going to pray again, okay? We like to pray. When we are done singing the last song and then when I finish leading us in prayer the last time and people start to go, maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and you want to today. We can help you with that. We can't save you, only Jesus can, but we can show you what you need from the word. I'll ask you when we dismiss, if you'll come down to the front, there'll be some people around here. We'll show you from God's word how you can embrace once and for all Jesus and have life eternal to never fear death again. Let's pray together. Father, we're kind of happy about our life through Jesus Christ, your son and our savior. Numerous of us have voiced that very, very vibrantly this morning as we've recognized that our life is one with a glorious future because of our risen Savior. You raised him from the dead. Help us to leave here with this message of glory on our tongues. May it capture our minds and our hearts every moment. And we pray, Father, for anyone that's never trusted Jesus, that today they might have life eternal through him. In Jesus' name, amen.